As we open scripture this morning, thinking especially of Lord's Supper, of the sacrament that we just celebrated and participated in, we're turning to a passage that's pretty well known when it comes to Lord's Supper and our practices around it. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 17 and read through verse 34. We find Paul not in the happiest of moods as we come into this passage, so you'll hear it a little bit in the tone and in his words. Okay. Listen then for the voice of God. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings, they do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. For no doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? (laughs) Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry, well, they should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And then when I come, 
I will give you further directions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first time I participated in the Lord's Supper in a Christian Reformed church was a Sunday or two after Easter uh, in Hope CRC in Oak Forest, Illinois, my very first CRC home. I grew up coming to the table since I was eight because that's when I was baptized in my Baptist congregation. So this wasn't my first time taking the bread or drinking the cup, but this time, In the little CRC congregation that I joined in my university years, I experienced Lord's Supper in a different way. Pastor Raj stepped down from the pulpit and he took his place at the table in his long black preaching robes. And I bowed my head and readied myself. (laughs) I readied myself for the reminder of my sin I readied myself for the reminder of my unworthiness. I readied myself for the warning issued at every time when we came to the table not to eat or drink judgment on myself and to be right with God. And I was ready for the piano to play the the opening bars of Alas and Did My Savior Bleed and to sing the words that we often did about how he died for such a worm as I. And I was ready to taste the grape juice and the tiny square of white wonder bread, and I was ready to know my guilt. But then Pastor Raj lifted his hands, and he looked out at all of us and said, lift up your hearts unto the Lord. And I raised my head and I listened as he proceeded to talk about God's grace, about the thankfulness of the table, to tell a story not only of the cross and the death of Jesus, but of his life and of his resurrection. And then he invited us all forward and the piano came to life with that Easter hymn, crown him with many crowns, And people stood up and weren't bowed down, but were singing with joy as they came to the table. And when I came to Pastor Raj, and he handed me the bread, saying, the body of Christ for you, I placed it in my mouth, and I let out a laugh. (laughs) Because instead of white Wonder Bread, which I had grown so very accustomed to, it was a piece of sweet lemon loaf and my taste buds just went And then I moved to the elder, and the elder said, the blood of Christ shed for you. And I looked at the cup, and as a girl who grew up in teetotaling Baptist congregation, there was wine in that cup. There was white wine in that cup. There was sweet white wine in that cup. And I took a sip, small one, kinda had to come, you know, you know, halfway. And again, my taste buds exploded. And there was sweetness, and I was overwhelmed. And so I walked back, people singing, I walked back to my seat, and I wanted to cry. (laughs) 
and I didn't want to cry tears of shame or guilt. I was overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness and a realization of that table as a gift of grace. I left that Lord's Supper Sunday, and I knew, and I celebrated the joy of salvation that I had tasted there, the goodness of the Lord. When every Lord's Supper is more or less a funeral service for Jesus, like it was for me growing up, we're definitely made aware of the cost and the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us. We definitely know our guilt. But I gotta tell you, if that is the only way we celebrate Lord's Supper, it doesn't leave room for much else. Which is why that joy was so revelatory to me on that Sunday at Hope. Their practice after the the Lord's Supper services after Easter, where they celebrate and focus on the resurrection, it opened up for me a deeper understanding of God's grace. It made me taste the gospel in a profound way. I can still, I can still remember the taste of the sweetness of that lemon loaf and that sweet white wine. In my utter delight and surprise. Our Lord's Supper practices matter because they shape our relationship to God and to each other for better or for worse. This is Paul's point when he's writing here to the church in Corinth. And it's a really harsh part of his letter. I mean, he's not kind to them at other parts, but this one, this one is particularly sharp here. And, and you heard it just a few minutes ago. It hurts. It's not even directly directed at us, but it kind of feel like collateral damage. Paul gets heated in several of his letters. It's a bit of what Paul does. He's a very passionate human being. But in this one, this one he feels his pastoral rage is white hot. <laughs> it burns. The Corinthians are bickering, they're a fractious congregation, they have many divisions, some along class and wealth lines, and they're not taking particularly good care of each other. And this has spilled into their practice of Lord's Supper to such an extent that Paul declares with words meant to wake them up that when you all come together and think you are celebrating the Lord's Supper, You're saying the right words, but I'm telling you that ain't the Lord's Supper. At at this time in the life of the church, congregations met in people's homes. There was no church buildings like this. And usually it was the home of a wealthy member of the church who had a big enough house to host them all. And the Lord's Supper, the bread and cup that we did here, would be included in a big feast, kind of like a big church potluck, actually. 
They would feast together, and at that table, they would have the bread and cup. And they would say the words that Paul reminds them of and that we say every time we come to the table. That practice was meant to bring them together as one body. Their practice, the sacrament, was meant to remind them that they were one. And that wasn't happening with them. And so Paul calls them out on the inequality of their practice. When you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person goes hungry and one person's drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? They weren't eating as one body. Some would arrive early and feast with those that they wanted to and they would leave nothing for those who came later. There was feasting for some, and there was scraps for the rest. When they came to the table, they left people out. And what follows in Paul's admonition here has had profound implications for the way the Lord's Supper is practiced in the Reformed tradition. Familiar words to us. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This portion of Paul's admonishments in this section have become prescriptive in Reformed churches since the Reformation. To counter the abuses of the Catholic Mass and to set the newly emerging Protestant churches apart, the leaders of the Reformation raised up self-examination as a key to the admittance to the table alongside a public profession of faith to make sure that, unlike the Catholic Mass, spoken in Latin, where the people come and don't necessarily know what's going on or what's being said or what it means for them, they just know they have to come and take it, the difference would be that in Protestant churches, people would know and they would understand what they were doing at the table. They were correcting abuses in Lord's Supper practices for their time. People would know and they would understand what they're doing when they come to the table. Our Lord's Supper practices matter because they shape our relationship to God and to each other for better and for worse. For those of you who grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, unlike me, you probably remember reading the preparatory form or having a minister or elder read the preparatory form a week in advance of coming to Lord's Supper. 
And it had strong, it had language that strongly echoed Paul's words here, sometimes verbatim, (laughs) to examine yourself. A call to examine yourself. A call to discern the body of Christ so that when you come the following Sunday, you're not gonna eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Get right, get things settled, and then come. And you may notice that that's not part of our practice as much anymore. And that's not just here at Community CRC, but across our denomination. And it's not because self-examination isn't a good practice. It is. But because of the growing realization over the past few decades that by only emphasizing and overemphasizing self-examination, the knowing and understanding of what we do when we come to this table, that our Lord's Supper practices have been leaving people out. There's been feasting for some and scraps for others. And it's not all that different from the Corinthian church. By trying to avoid their bad practices and emphasizing Paul's language here, we have developed a set of bad practices of our own. A group called the Faith Formation Committee was tasked by Synod back around 2006 to look at the health of the faith lives of people in the Christian Reformed Church. Their work actually gave rise to positions like mine, pastor, faith formation. They've been deeply formative in our denomination. Their work has been incredible and has had profound implications for our life as a church. One of the big areas that they were tasked of looking at was Lord's Supper practices. And like Paul assessing the Corinthians' practices, they came back with a report that wasn't blistering hot rage like Paul, but it did have profound sadness and a bit of confession. They came back to the denomination and said, when we come to the table, we leave people out. The committee invited the Christian Reformed Church little painfully to see that our practice of overemphasizing self-examination and requiring a public profession of faith that often didn't come until you were 18, 23, later resulted in the exclusion of baptized members from the table. We would extend one sacrament but withhold another. We would extend one means of grace but keep the other until they earned it. And this committee said, we are actually undermining and directly contradicting our own reformed covenant theology. Because in baptism, our covenant children are welcomed as members of the body of Christ. But then in our Lord's Supper practices, we say, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, yeah, we meant that. But for this part, you're not really a member until you do some stuff. And then you can come to the table. You're not really a member in the way you think you are. 
Our Lord's Supper practices in the Christian Reformed Church were not shaping our relationship to God and to each other for the better. Paul warned the Corinthians not to eat or drink at the table without discerning the body of Christ. Discerning the body of Christ. Which is Paul's shorthand for not only examining our relationship with Jesus, but it's also about how we are or are not in relationship with each other. Our Lord's Supper practices are meant to bring us together as one body around the table. The way of discerning the body of Christ is for all of us to look around and ask, are we all here? When we come to this table, are we here together? Is there someone missing that should be at our family table? When you discern the body and look around and say, is there a relationship with someone who's coming to this table that I need to mend in order for us to be together? Is there someone's forgiveness that I need to seek in order to say that I come to this table with them? Paul's words to the Corinthians were not intended to erect fences around the table to keep people out. His words were to help the Corinthians dismantle their divisions and their practices that were keeping them apart. Which is why his final exhortation to them in this passage, it wasn't to further self-examination, but to make sure that their Lord's Supper practices brought them together as one body around the table. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Since the Faith Formation Committee reported back to Synod back around 2010, Congregations across the denomination have gotten to work discerning the body of Christ and our Lord's Supper practices for us today. Reforming them, changing them, tweaking them, assessing them for ways in which they keep people out and ways in which they draw us together. And this congregation is included in that here at Community. In 2012, the elders approved a process here of welcoming baptized children to the table. It involves having them express a desire. What's that about? I'm curious. They know that Jesus loves them. And then talking to a pastor or an elder. And then the elders getting to welcome them to the table to celebrate that this person, this baptized member of our congregation is growing in their faith. And since, since then, in more recent years, to be honest, we have celebrated and welcomed several of our covenant children, like Vivian, to the table. 
But as we discern the body and we look around and ask, are we all here at the table? Are we? Are there people missing? Are we all together at the table? If you're a baptized member here, whatever your age, our youngest ones have left us, but I also know that we have young adults who are baptized members for whom profession of faith is a little weird and you're not quite sure if that's yours yet. And you have spent 22 years never coming to the table. You've never participated. Come talk to a pastor. Come talk to an elder. Let's have a conversation about where you're at in your faith journey, what that looks like, and what that table means to you. Because we're not eating together (laughs) if you're not with us. Richard Lisher is a pastor who wrote a memoir about serving his first church, and it's, it's a delight. And he reflects on Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians. Richard writes, Paul warned his readers in Corinth to discern the body, which means to see Jesus' body in a new way. Not as a miracle of physics (laughs) occurring in the elements, but as a miracle of community in which atoms of solitude are recreated into new families and friends. And later he describes how much he loves during the communion liturgy when he, he has a, they have a big silver chalice, when he's saying, do this in remembrance of me, and he lifts up the silver chalice. And Richard writes that when the light was filtering through our glass windows, or flooding through the open doors in our sanctuary. When I held it up, I could just see the whole congregation reflected in the silver cup. And in the congregation, the whole church. As we eat and drink at the table that Jesus has set for us, May we discern the body of Christ well. May we discern our belonging by grace alone to Jesus who invites us and our belonging to each other as his precious body. And may we all experience the promises of this table that are taught to us in the Heidelberg Confession. Heidelberg Catechism, all dear ones. Now you're already being like, oh, pastor, you're pushing us too far, and then I just kind of misquote that. Forgive me. It's been a long week. Here's what the Huddleberg says. For as surely as we receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with our mouths the bread and cup of the Lord given to us as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does Jesus nourish and refresh our souls. And that is something that we all need, no matter our age, 
no matter our understanding. Thanks be to God for these good gifts. These good gifts of grace set at the table by Jesus himself for his people, for his body, for us all. Let's pray. Our God of the church, forgive us where our practices fail you and the fullness of your gospel. Send your spirit to help us and instruct us where we can do better, where we can grow, where we can change. But we do all of this knowing that no matter what, the truth remains that you hold us, that you love us, that we are one body even when we don't feel like it or look like it because it is all grace. It is all your gift and we thank you as your people for the good gifts you have given us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.